0: It was really big. Metallica was their headliner, uh, their entertainment, and it was just like, oh, Blizzcon. That's what it was, Blizzcon. And we got to set up a usability booth there and just hear from potential customers about what they would like to see in their software, how they would like to use their equipment. And uh, we were really able to improve the software and improve the program and improve the user experience.
1: Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompet. On this episode, we have a really, really old friend of mine, Raina O'Meara, who I've known for well over 10 years and a fellow designer. Nice to have you. And uh, Reina's, among other things, she's the brand director of her new company Comfort Eats, but she's also worked at Weta and Steel Series and Redbox as a designer. So I'd love to he- hear her talk about the experience of working at a, a DVD rental company, Steel Series. If you're a gamer, you probably know that brand. And if you're into movies or like, Lord of the Rings and stuff, uh, you probably recognize Weta. So welcome to the show, Reyna.
0: Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, so tell us about what you're up to now. What do you do at Comfort Eats?
0: Yeah, so I'm the brand director and co-founder of Comfort Eats. So I actually wear a lot of hats. It's a company that started basically out of a friendship. So my best friend and I were really close, hung out all the time, and we used to hang out and eat snacks all the time. And then I moved out here to New Zealand so my husband uh, could follow his dreams to work in films. And so when we moved out here, I missed all those snacks from home. And so she used to ship them to me all the time. And then eventually we're you know, I can't be the only expat in the world that misses American snacks. And she's a business professional. I'm a graphic designer. So we're like, okay, let's just start a business and see how it goes. So yeah. So basically, I create all of the design assets or manage all the design assets. And Brittany handles all the business side and the finances and stuff.
1: Yeah, so it can, more than just friendship, it came out of a need from your own uh, need of being an expat who misses <laughs> sex. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, we'd love to hear. You know, I don't even know how to which one to go first, but so I'll kind of leave it up to you. But you know, I'd love to hear all your stories from you know Redbox, Steel Series, Weta as a designer. What what gave you you know the biggest impression and
0: Yeah, I gotta say they're all very special to me for different reasons. I think Redbox was very special to me because it was my first big design job out of college. And it was a lot of young people and it was around my age at the time. And it was very small team. Like I was the only designer in the whole company. And then overnight, it just kind of blew up. And we had, you know, a couple thousand employees. And so to see, to be part of that kind of grassroots and see it kind of explode was really interesting. And because of that, and because I was kind of employee number 30 or something, but I got to do all these cool things that I wouldn't have if, I, if my first job would have been at a big corporate company.
1: Yeah. So and a recurring theme that people like, Maybe started a small company that has high growth. You get to do a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, and probably the most notable thing at Redbox was designing for the first iPhone, designing an app for the first iPhone. It, no one had done it before. There was, as far as UX standards and stuff, there there what there were none. Nobody had a degree in it. It just came out, and we got to figure out how to make it work. And they were like, "Hey, we need an app created." Redbox where you can rent a movie, you have two weeks. And so I just did the best I could. And then fast forward, and I ended up winning several awards for my design on that app. And then we started expanding the kiosk to ticketing, so you can buy tickets to events at kiosks and stuff. And that's where I learned a lot about rapid prototyping. I learned a lot about usability testing, how to create my own scripts, how to get quantifiable usable data And then after I created the flow for that, I actually got a patent for that UX flow and design. So that was really, really cool. And then at the time that I left the States, my designs were seen by almost 2,000 people per minute. The impact of one designer across the whole U.S., that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think we kind of glossed over it. But a lot of people I imagine are not familiar with Redbox. But could you tell us about the, you know, our audience about Redbox?
0: Sure. Redbox is a kiosk that is it's outside like Walgreens, it's in grocery stores and stuff, Walmarts. And you can uh, rent a DVD for a dollar from the machine.
1: I would say, you know, the story is Netflix killed Blockbuster, but I, I would argue maybe Netflix delivered the killing blow. But I think uh, the first stabs were, were from definitely from Redbox, to kind of use that analogy, because I, I was an early adopter of Redbox. And uh, when at the time, you know, for the people who live in the US, you go to, you, you rent VHS and DVDs at a Blockbuster. Uh, and then one day, right across the street, there's this red box machine that then you know it's like a vending machine that would rent out dvds for a buck so like it was just so obvious right you know because like oh at best uh at blockbuster it's five bucks Mm -hmm. red box one dollar and you don't have to talk to anyone you just go look at the vending machine just like a vending machine for a buck and if you're late i will charge you another buck but if you return it's a buck and it was just so obvious and after that we, we never went back to Blockbuster. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Um, doing the research when I was doing the designs for it, they were like, oh, we wanted to look because there were other kiosks at the time and Blockbuster actually, they started their own kiosk as well to try and compete. But it was really the ease of use of the kiosk design and usability experience that kind of put us on top, as well as our extensive work with the American Disabilities Association to make sure that our designs were accessible to people in wheelchairs, to people who had colorblind issues and things like that. So we were able to reach a broader audience because of that work.
1: Yeah, I remember there's almost a like a, a curtain even for the, the light or something. Do you know do you remember that?
0: Yeah. So that was because in the hotter areas, the sun would burn the screens and it would be so hot that people were burning their fingers on the screens yeah. and it was ruining the screens. So they started the, the little curtain thing.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize that's what it was for. I just, just thought it was just the glare because sometimes in, in that Case for me, it was like, yeah. With the one, sometimes it was just so the glare would be so bad that you couldn't see the screen. So I was like, oh, this is only what I want to be, the curtain must be for. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and And that was also my experience, uh, first experience using cards in an agile or like a Kanban board. That was my first experience doing that because we would have to. It took so long to get the code out to all the different states that we had to work on a new kiosk, a a new update, like a year in advance. And so it, it was like every two weeks we'd have another sprint and we'd have these cards associated to that sprint. And I'd never worked like that before. And that helped me throughout my whole career of how to break up a giant project into small digestible chunks.
1: So was all the designs kind of packaged in that vending machine? There was no like real-time software updates? Like it had to be designed in advance like that?
0: Yeah, they were done over Wi-Fi. I'm, a, uh-huh. I'm not a technical person, but I know it was digitally uh, transferred to the... It wasn't physically transferred over. And so they because we had so many people accessing the designs at one time, we really had to make sure that everything was super solid and we had to... Update the machine like overnight, and then send someone to test it in person, and then open it up to the public. And yeah, the upload speeds weren't as fast as they are now, so it took quite a long time.
1: And when you were there, like how many machines were deployed? How many rentals were happening? What was the metric? How did you measure it? Is it per minute per day? Yeah, what was that? Yeah,
0: at, at first it was per day. And I can't recall what it was exactly because we were still owned by McDonald's because Redbox is actually a seed company from McDonald's. And so it, McDonald's had the Redboxes in McDonald's at first. That was the only place you could access them. And they had those numbers. And then after we separated from McDonald's, then we were able to start tracking and getting that information. And I can't recall, it's been a couple of years now, so I can't recall the top man. my head. But at first it was per day. And then it was so many per day. We had in the entrance, there was like a projector and it would the number would show how many rentals. They, it would just like have a counter, which was really cool. And yeah, then we started just counting per minute because it started being so difficult like like it was just so overwhelming so much data
1: yeah I have a funny story because you know there's only so many like new movies come out right and and there's only so many copies in a vending machine of the new movie that just came out and I have a funny story to share where I was an early adopter of the iPhones I had an iPhone app and I was in line there was someone before me and they were browsing and browsing and then they saw you know there was like I, i'm like right behind them so i know what they're looking at and you know they're being slow and i'm browsing in my iphone app of the inventory in the same location and i see the movie that i wanted the new movie that just came out so i'm faster so i just like rented it from my phone <laughs> and they tried to rent it and it was out because i had rented <laughs> it before them because i was browsing on my phone behind them that was pretty funny oh
0: that's so great I'm
1: like yeah oh, it's not available like- anymore and uh, that was pretty funny
0: yeah that's kind of how the their their need to push the iphone app came out so quickly because we had these long lines of people because they would just browse forever and they're like oh this new thing came out it could speed up the lines and yeah that's why they wanted it out so fast yeah (laughs) yeah
1: and then it was really convenient to be able to like yeah, just all oh, see that the, the movie is out and it's near me available. So let me just go rent, you know, rent it from the phone and then go pick it up versus mm-hmm. like going there and then having to browse, browse, browse. That's what takes time. How did you get that job? How did you hear about it? If it was still like a really small company?
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy story. So I was looking for work and I was looking on what was the big website for looking for jobs at that time? Monster? Monster. Indeed. I was on Monster. And I was looking at graphic design jobs. And I came across the box thing. And they were looking for a senior designer. And I only had like two years of work experience out of college. And so I was like, oh, I don't qualify for this. But it says you get to work with movies. And I love movies. And I was like, oh, but I can't apply. I don't qualify. And then my dad was like, you should apply. He's like, let them tell you that you're not qualified. And then he's like, once you get in there and they see your personality and they see your eagerness, they might change their mind. Um, And sure enough, yeah, I interviewed and I was obviously not a senior, but they saw how eager I was and the culture was very big for them. And so they hired me, they changed the role for me and hired me.
1: Amazing. Brings me to your next job, Steel Series. You're also a gamer, right? That's the. Yeah. I just kind of assume knowing Rick and you. you
0: yeah, so I, I love games, but I play, you know, cutesy, fun games that nobody cares about. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, like Little Big Planet and Yoshi's Woolly World and Kingdom Hearts and stuff. So, Steel Series came along and it was video games and I love video games. So I applied there and that was my first time leading a team, which was really exciting. So they're a company that does headsets and mice and keyboards for pro gamers or people who are just really intense gamers. And so or aspire uh,
1: to be pro gamers as well, right? If there's only so many, yeah. if it's only for programmers, it's not a big market.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was really fun. It was a whole new experience for me. I didn't know that you could do pro gaming at, for a living. That was like a whole like different world. And it was really fun. I, that's where I really dived into understanding usability testing. They were very adamant about user testing because uh, shockingly enough, a lot of pro gamers or people who aspire to be that level aren't very tech savvy. And so my team worked on the software that the people would interact with to set up their equipment in the way that they like so that they could get the optimum performance while they're gaming.
1: So this is mostly designing desktop software, right?
0: Yeah, desktop software. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So you had quite uh, a you're kind of looking at your career and it's like you designed a kiosk. Like, like most people who have design experience, it's like it's websites, right? You know, you design a kiosk straight you know, the first iPhone. And then desktop software.
0: Yeah, because of the, I got the job because the kiosk, the Redbox kiosk was so complex when we started the ticketing side of it, that they thought that I could handle the the complexity of the software Mm. for the pro gamers. And yeah, so that was really fun. And I really dove into understanding personas and how they work and stuff. And I had the opportunity with my team. They were so talented. I learned so much from them. And we had the opportunity to go to like, what's the con- the gamer convention? Oh, I can't remember. E3?
1: <laughs> so E three or
0: no, 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 no. Uh, it's it's where all the new computer games come out. Oh, it's killing me. I don't remember now. But yeah, anyway, it was really big. Metallica was their headliner, uh, their entertainment. And it was just like, oh, BlizzCon. That's what it was, BlizzCon. And we got to set up a usability booth there and just hear from potential customers about what they would like to see in their software, how they would like to use their equipment And uh, we were really able to improve the software and improve the program and improve the user experience. And then we started working on this eye-tracking software, which was really entertaining for me, really interesting work. Where we would, it was like a little bar and you put it on your screen, the bottom of your screen. And then when the pro gamers would play the game, it would record where they were looking. And then we would analyze the data and say, okay, well, Dendi is a better gamer than you know this other guy because he didn't spend, he only spent 20% of the time looking at his map, where this other person took 50% of the time looking at their map. And so the idea there was that we could then sell that data to potential to clients who wanted to up their game to show them how they could improve their game.
1: Oh, wow. So it's more than just uh, selling the hardware and designing software to support the hardware, but you became sort of a a data company.
0: Yeah. And interviewing these pro gamers, it was just, they sent me to Madison Square Garden to see this because we would sponsor the teams. And so we went to visit the team that we sponsored and watching this team play Dota in Madison Square Garden with people screaming, like if it's like a boxing match or something (laughs) and people had like phone fingers and signs and like, it was, it was very eye-opening. It was a total like experience that I'll never forget. And then (laughs) afterwards we got to interview them and make the product better. And it was just so much fun. And yeah. And I remember one of the guys that we interviewed, he was actually from Russia and he was like 20 years old. And he was saying that back home, he told his mom, I want to quit school and I want to be a pro gamer for a living. And his mom was like, you can't do that. Get a job or get out. And so he's like, fine. So then he went to America and he got on a pro gaming team and they won the million dollar prize. And so he calls his mom as soon as he won. And he's like, mom, 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 I made a million dollars playing video games. And she's like, how dare you lie to me? And she hangs up the phone. Well, in the town, everyone found out about him winning. And they they put up banners all over the town. And they the mom kept getting visitors like, aren't you so proud of your son? And so she had to call him and apologize.
1: <laughs> what a story. <laughs> so
0: crazy. Sorry.
1: You mentioned personas, so how many personas were there for Ed Steel series? So you know, I kind of just lumped gamers into one persona. Like, what? How many personas could there be?
0: Yeah, there was the pro gamer.
1: Yeah. There's
0: the aspiring pro gamer. Yeah. There's the casual gamer, Uh, and then there was the you know gamer that plays you know an avid gamer, not like a an aspiring pro gamer, but an avid gamer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I feel like I wouldn't even be the avid gamer. I I just like the LE. I'm just like the RGB guy. <laughs> 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 um,
0: yeah, yeah. Because of the that split of the personas, we actually found that uh, we had to change the software. So there was a simple GUI interface when you first log in, and then if you're a more like if you want to dive deeper, then you would ch- press a button and you would get more options from there. Got it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Cool. Uh, How'd you, uh, So tell us about, I'm very curious about in, in catching up with you, I'd, I'd love to hear more about the work at Weta. Um, for the folks who don't know, if you're like living under a rock, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and the, that is a really amazing special effects company that, that your husband works at.
0: Yeah, Weta Digital and Weta Workshop are actually two different companies, but mm-hmm. part of the same family. So what a digital, that's where my husband works, is they do all the digital effects, motion capture, all that stuff. And then what a workshop does all the physical props. So, like for Mulan, for example, they created all the armor, all the spears, the helmets, like everything that Mulan interacts with pretty much. And so it was really fun because a lot of times Rick and I would be working on the same film but uh, what would be working on the physical parts that were then scanned to be 3d. And then he's like, Oh yeah, I'm working on that sphere. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, uh, it was really cool. And uh, yeah, with the avatar too, it's like, you know, they would work on the physical props and then scan them in and then what a digital takes them from there. So it was really fascinating to see them, the oh. uh, continuity and how they work together.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. well, um, That makes impeccable your time at impeccable sound very boring. (laughs) But by comparison, all of that, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I really enjoyed working for impeccable. Like my favorite project at impeccable was that military project where we had to create that UI. And I'm not sure if we can talk about it, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But it was it was really fascinating for me working on it. I was geeking out because it was like. You know, I made the interface like white because it was like clean and like, you know, like I tried to make it look techie. But then the military guy is like, if I pull out this thing and there's this bright white screen, I'm going to get like found. It has, to be, <laughs> it has to be muted colors. And I remember he said he would be wearing some sort of thing over his face. And so it had to be muted colors, but big enough so that he could actually interact with it. And he said, you know, I'll be nervous. I'll be, you know, really stressed and on alert. So the interface has to be easy enough for me to use it at this heightened level of stress. Yeah. And to me, that was super fascinating and fun to work on something that would help someone, but also with all those cool parameters right. in and- my mind in there yeah
1: i remember and also wearing gloves too like thick gloves so those were like yeah the design constraints on that project were were really interesting i would pretty much forgotten about that project thank you for you know I'll, i'll bring it up as a case study it was such a tiny project because of the design budget for these things were like abysmally small which if you think about it like if there was ever a time where design can either save a life or get you killed faster. This would be it. But the budget is just so abysmally small compared to all the other things that we've done. So that was really interesting. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. Like I had totally forgotten about, you know, that was such an old long time ago project. But that was, yeah, it was really cool. You know, from a from a, you know, it's not it was definitely out of our usual it, it was one it wasn't mobile, it wasn't a uh, web, it was a device. So yeah.
0: And I got to use my kiosk touch interface experience, so that was fun.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, any other yeah. things that you, you, you got out of the, any other interesting projects or time, not, noteworthy memories? From
0: working at Impeccable? I think it was really cool when I actually came out to visit you guys, and uh, we worked in that shared workspace. Mm-hmm. That was my first time ever working like that. And that was super cool. Like, I just thought the dynamic of multiple companies, like being able to interact, like me being a designer, me being, being able to easily interact with the designer of another company right next door. That was really cool. Like the conversations I had with other people in our area. Yeah, I thought that was really fascinating. And I think if um, ever gets to the point where we need to uh, have like a space, I would love to do a workspace with like like-minded companies so that we could like grow and learn together. I think that's really important sometimes to get that outside, you know, like I've been working on this thing for like a day and I've been looking at the same project, but you know, maybe another designer could look at it from a different company who doesn't know all the information and all the backstory and provide something new that'll make it better. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's the co-working space, you know, when when I started the company, it was just me. uh, That really gave me, you know, some semblance of, you know, kind of community, even though my my own company was a company of one and then, you know, several interns at some point before it started to grow. But having a community, like you said, to be able to bounce ideas off and uh, not feel like you're alone, you know, because a small business is, you know, when it's really small, like you and your co-founder or just you... It can just be a, a slog by yourself. So having yeah the having a co working space where you know people are in similar stages or similar fields, I think it it is really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then also like some of the feedback that you gave, I think that you're really good at like mentoring people. And you're able to, like, pull out that one thing. You know how everyone has that thing that they struggle with? Like, hey, why can't I get to the next level? And you want to say, like, it's because you do this annoying thing. But you want to, like, you don't know how to say it in a way that'll, (laughs) like, not offend them. But that's the one thing that's holding them back from, like, proceeding to the next level. And I felt like you were really good at that. Like, I have this really annoying thing that I do that, like, when I'm nervous and presenting, I'll kind of have an upward inflection on all of my sentences because I'm like nervous. <laughs> and so like, this is the project and I want to make it great. And, <laughs> and you had like a conversation with me, like, Hey, like that makes it seem like you're unsure. And when you're presenting things, make sure that it's, you know, it ends, like, on a period, on a down note. And I've done that ever since. And I've had so much more success with trying to get buy-in on my designs since then. Oh, thanks, thanks.
1: Uh, We had to beat that out of one of our designers. He was doing it all the time. uh, Instead of presenting, it always sounded like everything was a question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So in terms of, you know, take now that all that is, is uh, in the past, like uh, tell us kind of about the design of your current company and uh, oh, yeah. all that it entails.
0: Oh, yeah. So I guess first I want to go back to Weta for one second because Please. it does kind of what happened to Comfort Eats. So there was this project that was a huge UX opportunity for me and my team. And we had to create the Comic Con booth for what a workshop. And as you know, Comic Con is huge. huge, and it's our number one time to make a ton of money, so it's really important that we make the booth stand out, and make it exciting. And for me, it was a dream come true because I used to go to Comic Cons and visit the Weta booth and be like, someday for me, I was like, wow, I actually get to work on this. This is going to be so awesome. And so they never really thought about kind of the UX of the purchasing experience. So they have like all these different types of sales. So they have like buy one, get one. They have like um, uh, 30% off uh, if you buy three or more, you know, they have like new uh, to Comic-Con, you know, like Comic-Con exclusive, stuff like that. And so they had all these little cards that they would place in front of the physical displays of all the figurines and collectibles and things. And it would say like, you know, this is how much it is. And it's a CDCC exclusive, whatever. So then I worked with my designers to come up with a col- color coded system for those uh, little cards. So everything red was a Comic-Con exclusive. Everything green was buy one, get one, you know, like uh, that kind of thing. And it also helped us because we were a pretty small team and our team like of four people created approximately 10,500 assets for Comic-Con. Wow. (laughs) And so, When you think about that, it's like we had to be very judicious in how we spent our time. We had to utilize templates. We had to, but also make sure that we worked as quickly as possible, but as effectively as possible. So with this color-coded system, we were able to create this template and we were able to break up the work because I could say, hey, designer one, you take all the green, designer two, you take all the red. And so we were able to kind of split up everything, and then the posters, all the touch points, ha- also had that color-coded system, and so everything looked very cohesive, which was difficult to achieve previously because you have you know freelancers who randomly come in, and it's difficult to onboard. But if I tell the freelancer, okay, everything you you just take all the green ones, it was so much easier. And so we actually ended up selling way more. Then we would have normally because if you think about it, like there are so many people walking through your booth at one given time, any given time, and there's like a crowd of people and you're trying to peek over and you can't read that small little thing that says how much it is. But if you ask the person, hey, which ones are 30% off? Oh, anything green. And so even if you can peek over for a second and see the green ones, you automatically know it's 30% off without having to actually read it. And it, it was really successful in that regard in that we were able to sell a lot more. We were able to produce more assets quicker, create a more cohesive look, and also we were able to break down the booth faster so as it was previously, when we broke down the booth, we would just chuck all the cards and then create new ones for the next con. However, for, because of this color-coded system, they were able to say, hey, throw out all the red ones because those are Comic-Cons ex- exclusive, but keep all the green and blues. We'll reuse that for E3 or something. Okay. So um, it was really, really great on all fronts to be able to recycle, reuse, you know, all that stuff positive ROI,
1: (laughs) right? You you created, you were able to sell more, Uh, you created a, you were more efficient with your time, you're more environmentally sustainable, because you didn't have to throw out everything. So just applying some some good design principles. um, That's really, uh, thank you for sharing that story. So I'm, I'm glad you decided to come back to Weta and tell that story before moving on.
0: No problem. And then kind of preparing for wild cards, because Richard Taylor, he's, he's, you know, the ultimate creative. And sometimes he would see something and say, you know what, I think we're going to change this, someone give me a new poster. And it's we created these assets, three weeks ago, we don't have a new poster to give you. (laughs) And so we created these templates that were like, kind of like the, you know, like, blank, but still followed the same design as everything else. And so he could literally hack something together at the last minute and it'll still look cohesive with everything else. Mm. And so then fast forward to comfort eats. Now I have this company that, you know, we're two people and we have to create website, mobile experience. We have to create the unboxing experience, business cards, flyers, like you name it, like all the things with two people social media, and we have to figure out how to be judicious with our time. And we have to figure out how to plan for the unexpected and be able to easily have anyone pick up the, if we hire a freelancer, have a intern come on, they have to be able to onboard quickly. And then also we have to figure out how to sell the products in a way that. Is very, very easy for people to understand and quickly make the purchase. And so it's like my experience at Kia on the kiosk at Redbox, my experience at Steel Series making something complex, very simple, at what making an entire booth, 10,000 assets with four people, all that kind of helped inform the creative experience at Comfort Eats. Nice.
1: So, what kind of tell us about the system you set up at Comfort Eats and that way in a way that you know an intern could jump in and, and pick up.
0: Yeah, so I whenever we start a new project, so Brittany and I will just kind of brainstorm and then from there, I'll start doing user interviews. And you're aware of this because we're now expanding to be able to have businesses be able to send care packages to their employees. And so I started interviewing CEOs of companies. And asking them questions about how often do you give gifts to your employees? What is it you're looking for? And so I just gather all that information. And then based on that information, I make personas. And then from that persona, then I make a style guide of what the designs should look like, what the standards are. And then from there, I make templates. And so when we onboard a new person, they have all this information They can review the personas and then they can use the templates. And then we've actually moved away from using Photoshop and Illustrator and moved to using products that are easier for anyone to use, like Canva. And that way, the freelancer can just log into our Canva, access the templates, and design something very quickly that looks on brand. Amazing,
1: amazing. Well, thank you for tying all that up and uh, summing it. It's an interesting journey, and I see how everything kind of led you to this and your adventures. And and actually, for the audience, you're actually where now?
0: Yeah, I'm in Wellington, New Zealand.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know this story. So maybe you could tell the audience um, about the your move here with your husband, and what your parents had to say about this, because I thought it was really funny.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> how we broke it to my parents.
1: Yes, yes, because you, you come from a very traditional family that in a strong community, and they didn't want you to leave.
0: Yeah. So yeah, my family is so close. Like, I literally saw one of one of my family members every single day, like the, just that close. Every weekend, we go to grandma's house and have lunch together, you know, that kind of thing. And so when Rick, got the offer at what we were so excited, like, Oh my God, you're going to work on feature films, you know? And they said, Oh, you're going to get to work on the next Avengers movie, which Rick got to work on Endgame, And we were just like, you know, like how could we not take it? Right. But then we're like, okay, we got to break it to my family. And so it was my mom, my brother, my dad, And I explained to them, like, Rick got a new job. It's, you know, working for feature films. And they're like, oh, we're so happy for you. That's so amazing. And I'm like, there's also a possibility that I could work there, too. And they're like, oh, that's so great. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, so we have to move to New Zealand. (laughs) And then there was like a silence. And like, they didn't even know where New Zealand was like, you know, I don't remember learning in like my American classes where New Zealand was like, I think I called it the Netherlands for the first like (laughs) month. (laughs) And so my mom was just like, where is that? What do you mean you're moving? How far away is that? Like, how are we keeping in contact and blah, blah, blah. And then my dad was just quiet. And my mom's like, don't you have anything to say? And then my dad goes, Rick, how much money are you going to be making before taxes? (laughs) (laughs) And so we're just like, I'm like, Dad, I'm moving halfway across the world, your only daughter, and that's all you have to say? And he's like, well, I just want to make sure my daughter is taken care of, and then the rest will work itself out. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting and definitely a culture shock moving out here and not having family to constantly interact with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I for one, love your Facebook uh, stories on, on your adventures in New Zealand. The the American expat kind of fish out of water.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially working with Kiwis. It's, it's so fun because they're so chill And I'm just used to go, 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 deadline, deadline, and kiwis are like, she'll be right, mate. No (laughs) worries. They're they're so chill, and they have a unique way of seeing the world, and I love it. It's great. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I hear the same stories of working in Thailand, because Thai Thai people, you know, it's sun, sand, beach, so everything's kind of chill. Probably kind of like Hawaiians, too, where, you know, if you live kind of in that tropical environment, there's things, time is a lot slower, (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah yeah but because of that i've been able to really learn a lot of new things because now i have the time because i've slowed down so much
1: (laughs) yeah that's a good lesson well reina thank you so much for being on the show and sharing the awesome stories and uh, i got to learn a bit more about yeah the parts that i need to hear about in terms of weta and uh, steel series so thank you for sharing
0: no worries yeah it was a lot of fun
1: And for those listening who want to, how do they learn more about Comfort Eats? What's the URL? Is there a coupon code for the show?
0: Ah, yeah. We have actually temporarily paused the customer side to work on expanding the business side. But we're super excited because the business website will be launching soon. And so um, we'll have like a special code for that that we'll um, share with. I'll give you the the code later. And uh, yeah, so that'll be to help uh, kind of take a couple of bucks off so that you can give your employees a little care package from us. It, these are tough times. A lot of customer, uh, a lot of employees are working remote and this is a way to really keep those employees engaged. And so, yeah, ComfortEatsDelivery.com is the website and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Comfort Eats Delivery. And we also just started a TikTok and as... Pac was mentioning, I started putting my, my Kiwi combos and understanding Kiwi slang. So you can learn a little bit about my journey there. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Raina.
0: Thanks again. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.